Welcome, church. My name is Caitlin, and you've probably already noticed that today is a different kind of Sunday. Today is Student Takeover Sunday. I'm one of this year's seniors, and I'm excited to be joining three of my fellow seniors for this week's installment of our current series, It's Just a Phase. It's Just a Phase. Throughout this series, we've learned that how we finish this phrase can radically impact each phase of our lives. Whether you're in the high school phase like me, or you celebrated your 60th high school reunion this year, we all have two ways we can approach each phase of our lives. We can say, oh, it's just a phase, we'll get through it, and we can spend the phases of our lives enduring the obstacles and missing the opportunities. But there's a better way to finish this phrase. The way we've been talking about it during this series, in each phase of our lives, we can choose to say, oh man, this is just a phase and I don't want to miss it. When we think about the uniqueness of each phase, we're much more likely to see the opportunities and leverage those opportunities to become the people God has in mind for us to be. This week, we're talking about the phase of high school. High school is a unique phase of life that comes with its highs and lows. Over the span of these four years, we forge friendships that we'll cherish at least in memory for the rest of our lives, and it's the phase where we make some mistakes that will make us wonder, what was I thinking for decades to come? This phase has its highs and lows. For some of us, it is full of wonderful memories and not so much for others of us. But either way, this phase goes by fast, and what you choose to do in this phase matters. Over the next 25 minutes, my friends and I are going to share some advice with you that we've learned over the past four years. We're going to be talking to those in the room who haven't made it yet to high school or are just beginning their high school journey. But I think we'll all find that there are ways to apply the ideas we're going to be sharing with you today. And I get to start the conversation by talking about the most obvious lesson I've learned over the past four years, relationships. I'm not simply talking about dating relationships, though those are on the list. I'm talking about friendships and those we look up to as well. One of the biggest challenges my generation faces is having real relationships. With social media, we can struggle with knowing who our real friends are and who the fake ones are. Clearly, this is an issue for my generation, but let's be honest, if listening to 50s music is any indication, relationships back then were hard too. What makes my generation different is that social media is everywhere, whether you're in it or not. For my whole life, I've been surrounded by social media that can distort who you think you might know into someone you don't. It's so easy to count followers as real-life friends when you might not actually know them. I've heard someone say that we're more connected than we've ever been, yet we've never been more alone. Now Job, a character in the Bible, had a similar problem as this. We're just going to be focusing on a few chapters, but in case you haven't heard Job's story yet, I'll give you a quick summary. Job was a pretty good guy. He trusted God and was completely dedicated. The Lord let Satan put Job through trials, such as wiping out his children and all of his land. Now after all of this suffering, Job was in mourning. His three friends came to comfort him, as it says in Job 2, 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temnite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him, and they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, I'm sure you're thinking how great these friends are. They mourned with Job, they seemed to comfort him, but after these seven days, instead of saying words of comfort, let me read to you what one of these friends said. In Job 22, verse four through 11, 
Eliphaz says, in comfort, is it for your piety that he rebukes you and brings charges against you? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? You demanded security from your relatives for no reason. You stripped people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary and you withheld food from the hungry, though you were a powerful man, owning land, an honored man, living on it. And you sent widows away empty-handed and broke the strength of the fatherless. This is why snares are all around you, why sudden peril terrifies you, why it is so dark you cannot see, and why a flood of water covers you. Now, I don't know about you, but after losing everything, this would not comfort me. Job and his friends can be much like our social media friends. They'll be happy or sad with us, but at the end of the day, are they really your friends? Would they comfort you, or like Job's friends, would they kick you while you're down? Don't settle for bad friendships or relationships. Instead, invest in people who will make you a better person. When we consider the relationships in our lives, it's important for us to ask, does this relationship make me a better person? Does it make me more like Jesus, or does it distract me from who God says I am? We see an example of a good friendship in 1 Samuel with David and Jonathan. A little backstory, David has been anointed the next king. The current king, Saul, doesn't like that David will succeed him. Saul's son, Jonathan, is good friends with David, and now we pick up on our story. If you'd like to read along in your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 19. Saul has just decided that the best way to make sure David doesn't succeed him is by killing him, eliminating the competition. However, his son, Jonathan, finds out. Then Jonathan tells David about it in 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 3. Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan is putting himself at risk by going against the king's word. Instead of backing down and letting Saul find David and kill him, Jonathan convinces the king to save David instead. Jonathan could very easily give away where David is, and then he would become king. Instead, Jonathan performs a selfless act and saves David's life. Now let's step back for a second. Jonathan is the prince. He's not a second born or cousin to the throne where he can give away the kingship without a thought. He is the guy who would inherit the entire kingdom, riches and everything, and he gave it up for his friend. With real relationships, you must look out for each other even if it's not always what's best for you. Jonathan put David's needs first. He believed that David would be the next king according to the Lord, and he was prepared to help David achieve that. This is just one type of relationship that we need. Another is a mentorship. We find a great example of a mentor in 1 Kings 19 with Elijah and Elisha. Their mentoring began when the Lord told Elijah to anoint Elisha to succeed him. Elijah did as he was told, and Elisha followed him. Elijah taught Elisha everything he knew up until the point that the Lord took Elijah up to heaven. I've had the opportunity to be mentored, like Elisha, by my two great youth group leaders. Like Adam said last week, we should have God's word on our hearts, doors, or even if we're just walking dogs with our mentors. We need these kind of relationships in our lives. We need mentors to guide us and friends who make us better people. So middle schoolers, today I wanna to ask you yourselves three questions. Actually, I want us all to ask ourselves three questions regardless of the phase we're in. First, who is someone a little farther along than me that I should be looking up to and learning from? Second, who are the people I surround myself with? Are they making me more like Jesus or distracting me from who God wants me to be? And finally, third, who are the people who are in a phase that I've already gone through that I can come alongside? Relationships play a major role in our high school experience, and so it's important to be intentional with them. 
I've also heard it said that the best way to attract the right relationship isn't by looking for the relationship, but rather becoming the kind of friend we want to have. With that in mind, I'm going to hand it over to my friend Bryant, who's going to be talking about just that. Hey church, I'm Bryant and I'm part of this year's senior class. As I've started to finish up high school and prepare to move on to the next phase of my life, I thought I could share some advice from the Bible that will be useful if you're in middle school or high school, but I think it'll be useful for the rest of you as well. You see, as I went into high school, one of the things that I wasn't quite prepared for was how to deal with all of the brokenness and sin that was all around me. Well, I always knew that there was a lot of brokenness in the world, but I always assumed that it would be easy to stand against it. I thought that my identity in Christ would stay strong even when everyone around me was consumed by sin. But I quickly learned that that wasn't always the case. I think a lot of people also struggle with this because the Bible talks about it. In Galatians 5, 16 through 21, Paul writes about the brokenness he and we see and experience in the world. He calls them acts of the flesh or selfish desires. Let's look at what he says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this brokenness is all around us, right? I see it in school, bullying or cheating or sexual immorality. And as Paul says, it seems pretty obvious to avoid this stuff. After all, here I am talking about these things that I think we would all consider bad, and I'm pretty sure none of you went into high school planning to bully people or cheat on tests, but something happens as we go through our days in the high school phase and in other phases of life as well. Even though we never planned on doing any of these things that are so obviously bad, we do end up doing them. Because the main thing that I wasn't prepared for when I entered high school is that this brokenness and sin isn't just around me, it's in me, and it's in all of us. Faced with the perpetual cycle of brokenness that many of us have experienced and that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, we get consumed by the obstacles. We may try to fight them at first, but eventually we, we give in. We sink into the reality that we won't be as good as we want to be, and we resign ourselves to the fact that maybe Maybe we'll sort things out later, but right now we just don't have the time or are just too tired. And maybe we'll choose a different path later, but right now we just have to get through the day, the week, the month, the semester, the year. You know, our friends are passing around answers to a test, and why not? I might as well cheat. Or everyone is making fun of someone, and you want to look cool, so you go ahead and join in. Will what I do in high school really matter? Would really make a difference if I try to be different? I mean, all you adults have your lives figured out, so I'm sure I'll figure it out eventually, right? Well, I'm laughing, but what we do this, right? We let the sin around us turn into the sin within us. Listen to that. We let the sin that is all around us turn into the sin within us. 
because we tell ourselves that it's just a phase and we'll get through it, when in reality, it's just a phase and we can't miss it because we are losing another chance every single day to become more like the person that God made us to be. The thing is, whether you're in high school or any other phase of your life, right now is the time to become who God has created us to be, whatever that looks like. Students, right now is the best time to put the work in, not after the end of the semester or graduation. Adults, Right now is the time to start becoming more like Jesus, not after your next promotion or not after you've reached the next phase, right now. Because what is most important, more important than school or sports or even friends, is becoming the person you were designed to be, and more specifically, becoming more like Jesus. If you're in school, the goal isn't to get through it. The goal isn't to get to the next phase, because right now you are growing into the person that you are going to be for the rest of your life and you want that person to be like Jesus. What does this look like? How do we become the person that we were designed to be? What kinds of things will be true of our lives when we're living life the way that God intended for us to live? Well, to find out, all we have to do is keep reading in Galatians 5. Because Galatians chapter 5 doesn't end on the brokenness. No, Paul continues in verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, I read this and I think, wow, this stuff sounds awesome. This stuff sounds like the kind of stuff that could cure the brokenness we see and experience in the world. And that, that is who I want to become. But I also read this and I think, wow, this stuff is hard. Because I know I'm not always kind and I lack self-control and I don't think I can ever live up to that. Because it is so easy to follow the people around me, but it is so hard to follow Jesus. Well, luckily for us, Paul also has some advice for that. He writes in Corinthians 11.1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that there is the crux of this. If we want to see the brokenness in our lives and in the world cured, then we have to become more like Jesus. If we want our identity to be in Christ amidst the sin of the world, we have to follow Jesus by following someone's example who is following Jesus. Notice here, Paul doesn't say follow Christ's example, and while that's also good advice, what he says is follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is saying that the best way to become more like Jesus is to try to become more like him, because he is trying to become more like Christ, and he's an example that they can see. And I have an observation about this, because Paul never met Jesus on earth. And what that means is that Paul had to have been doing the same thing that he tells us to do. All he could have done is try to be more like someone who was trying to be more like Christ. In fact, for all of history, Christians have been trying to be more like someone who's trying to be more like Christ. As my dad would say, let's get super practical here for a second. You become more like the world by following people who are following the world. But you become more like Jesus by following people who are following Jesus. So, if you want to be someone whose identity is founded in Christ, someone who bears the fruits like goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you have to follow someone's example. That's the only way. That's what Paul taught, and that's what Jesus taught as well. 
Find someone that is trying to imitate Christ and try to imitate them. Wherever you are in life, now is the time to become the person God made you to be, and you can't do it alone. So, middle schoolers and high schoolers, here's the thing. You need Christian friends and role models in your life other than your family. The way that I found that, like Caitlin, was to get involved with my age group's small group leaders. I can't even begin to describe how much my relationship with Kevin Haynes and Matt Dwyer has meant to me, as they've helped model what it looks like to have one's identity rooted in Christ. So please get involved with a small group and find some role models and friends to help you out, because you can't do this alone. And everybody else, you have to do the same thing, because wherever you are in life, you can't become more like Christ alone. And I also want to challenge you a bit here. Ask yourself, who am I becoming more like right now? Who have I chosen to model my life after and grow closer to? Is it your boss, a politician, a celebrity? Because if you follow someone who's following the world, you will become more like the world. But if you follow people who are following Jesus, you will become more like Jesus. Now my friend Simbi is going to talk to you about another key ingredient of making the most of every phase, how we manage our time. Hey church, I'm Simbi and I've been going to FCC since I was three years old. On any given Sunday morning, you can find me serving in FCC kids with our early childhood ministry. As we were working on this message, there was one word that kept coming to my mind, and that word was time. In the transition from middle school to high school, one of the most recurring words you will hear is time. Finding time to study, finding time to socialize, finding time for extracurriculars, and it always seems like there is just never enough of it. When you first start high school, everyone tells you that it will fly by, and as a senior myself, I can tell you that it's true. It's easy to waste a lot of time in high school, and I always remember having a planner the first week of school and having all my dates organized, but by the second week, my planner was nowhere to be found. That's why it's important to manage our time wisely, because time is limited. It's something that we can never get back, and we can either see that as a positive and think about how we can be present in the time we have, or you can think of it as a negative thing and think about all the time we've lost in the past, but it all depends on your mindset. As an incoming freshman going into high school, that may sound scary, but it's really simple. The bottom line is that we must define our priorities. We must ask ourselves, what am I committed to? Because what you put first is what really matters. Rather than spending your high school careers indoors and on your phone, make the most of those four years and truly experience all it has to offer. In the same way, Managing your time applies to your faith. An important question to consider is, is what I do on a daily basis going to have an eternal impact? Currently, your time may be consumed by a career, or social media, or a relationship, and that's okay to enjoy those things, but you have to shift your focus and think about the value of time and what your purpose is here on earth. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians, and he says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God, that Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is telling the Ephesians to commit to Christ first and use their time wisely. He highlights the importance of cherishing time and how we have the opportunity to make the most of the time that we have. In Psalm 90:12, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If you number your days, you will understand how important it is to spend your time rooted in Christ. This idea of using time wisely is reiterated through the entire Bible and really shows the significance of it. You may be asking yourself, how can you make sure you're using your time wisely? So here are a few practical ways to live this out. Students, number one, make all church worship a priority. Worship is so important and making time to go to all church worship is so crucial because it gives you time to express your love for God. Not only that, but it also includes other elements of worship like communion and offering, which are very important to become familiar with in developing your faith. All church worship helps you begin to feel like a part of the larger church. And number two, get involved in the student ministry. We all have different schedules and activities, but prioritizing time to get connected into the student ministry is something that will have such a big impact on your faith. It gives you relationships with mentors and deep friendships, which are both so important in the development of our faith. And not only that, it's also a lot of fun. And number three, prioritize spending personal time with God. It's always easy to start good habits when you're young, and that is one of the most beneficial habits you can get into as you're figuring out your spiritual journey. Adults, number one, make church a consistent habit. Church is such a vital aspect of our faith and worshiping alongside a community of other believers every Sunday is imperative for spiritual growth. Number two, prioritize spending personal time with God. Just like your physical body needs food daily, your spirit does as well. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to make an effort because it doesn't happen on its own. Getting into the word helps us to live a life truly like Christ. Number three, join a small group. Surrounding yourself with a group of people who share the same love for Christ helps to not only encourage you in your faith, but also gives you a community to confide in. And number four, be present in your kids' lives and the lives of those around you. Like we learned last week, time goes by quickly, and you need to make every moment count. Take advantage of every free moment you have with them because it won't last forever. Time is precious and a valuable gift that God has graciously given to us all, but it's important to not take it for granted. This life on earth is not guaranteed, and how we live our lives as Christians should be an ultimate reflection of how God intended it to be. As I said before, we need to constantly ask ourselves the question, is what I do daily going to have an eternal impact? That question is so important because it helps us check if we're truly being intentional with our time and actions. I encourage us all to self-reflect on how we use our time because being present in your faith is one of the most important things you can do. When we begin to make the most of our time, we'll start to see the good fruit that Bryant talked to us about a few minutes ago. And when we and others start to see that good fruit obvious in our lives, we'll want to be able to talk about it. With that in mind, I'm going to hand things over to Jack, who's going to finish our time by talking about just that. 
Good morning, church. My name is Jack Emmert, and I am so excited to speak to you all this morning. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something we all think we know how to do, but many of us aren't very good at it. It's something the people closest to us wish we could work on, and it's something that makes our lives a lot easier when we do it well. I'm talking about communication. It's so important to be able to communicate your thoughts and feelings to others. For those of you who are in middle schoolers or around that age out there, it's especially important because this is a new time in your life when you're starting to figure out who you're going to be and what your life is going to be about. This is the phase where you may find that your version for your life starts to look a little different than the version that your longtime friends have for their lives. And this is most likely when you'll start wanting more authority to make decisions for yourselves. With all this in mind, it's really important for you to take a step back and decide who and what are going to be important to you. This can seem a bit daunting when we all want to do what we all want to do is fit in. But thankfully, there's a great guide in the Bible to teach us how to communicate what we care about. As we talk about communication, we're going to look at the story of Esther. We're going to look at how Esther was able to communicate during a hard time for her people. And ultimately, I hope we can take what we learn from Esther and use it to communicate what we care about to who we care about. Esther was a Jewish woman who was married to King Xerxes. After one of the king's royal officials became unhappy with a Jewish man, ironically, Esther's uncle, a message was sent out that required the mass destruction of all the Jews. Mordecai, the man who came into conflict with the royal official, heard of this news and became outraged. He immediately urged Esther to speak up in an, in an attempt to save her people. At first, Esther was hesitant because she could be killed for challenging the king. However, she gathered the courage she needed and through a series of banquets she set up for the king, along with open and respectful dialogue, Esther convinced the king to go back on his order. The Jewish people were saved from persecution. Esther communicated what she cared about, which was saving her people, for who she cared about, the Jews. One thing to notice about Esther's story is that Esther was uniquely positioned to help her people. As the king's wife, she had direct access to the king, and her words would hold weight with him. Mordecai reminds Esther of this by saying in verse four, 14 of chapter 4, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther valued these words and decided that her heart for her people outweighed any potential dangers she might encounter. Esther's decision to speak up could have cost her everything, but instead, because of her boldness, she got to see God do an amazing work in the lives of a whole nation. Just like Esther, we will sometimes find ourselves in unique positions to help the people who are important to us. Sometimes it looks like stepping out and sharing our faith by inviting someone along to church. Whether it be at the lunch table, on a sports team, or in a club, we all get to interact with so many different people, and there's nothing standing in our way to invite a friend to church on Sunday morning or a youth group on Wednesday night. If our faith matters to us, we should share it. We should share it. It can feel risky or intimidating, but it becomes a lot less scary when we realize what the people around us would gain from coming with us. Not only that, but who knows? You, like Esther, might get to see God do some amazing work in the lives of someone else. This becomes a lot easier when we're able to communicate what we care about. We have to decide what we want to communicate to others. Esther cared about saving lives. That's what was important to her, and that's what she was uniquely situated to do. Even if it meant losing her own life, she was determined to save others. 
We should think about things we have that we want others to have. We have the hope for eternal life. We know that our sins can always be forgiven. And we know that we have a church family who loves and cares about us. Those are a few examples that make the Christian faith special. And by communicating those things that you care about, you are giving others an opportunity to experience those same benefits. Finally, we have to decide who we ultimately care about. Esther cared about her people. Their lives were important to her, so she used her platform to save them. Who's someone or a group of people that are important to you? Who is someone that God has put in your life that he wants you to notice and interact with? There are so many opportunities to recognize someone who may need you to be a friend to them. Someone is having a tough time at home. Someone just got dumped by his girlfriend. Some are people who are just having a bad day. It's during those times that people who may not usually be accepting of others might be willing to give a friendship a try. As students, those are the situations we should try to be aware of. We should pay attention when God places someone in our lives to whom we can communicate what we care about. And this isn't just true for students, but everyone can try to have an open mind and an eye for people in your life who need you. I know the struggles of everyday life can fill our minds, but in the phase of life we're in, we can't let the obstacles we face distract us from the opportunities that God gives us to meet the needs of others. To wrap up our time, hear these words from Esther 4, verse 14 again. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We can look at this verse as a reminder that we are all in a unique position to help others. Every one of us will have someone in our life at one point or the other that God wants us to communicate with. Be mindful and aware of that and be willing to accept someone who needs you and who needs God. I'll leave you all with a challenge. Take a step back and evaluate the things that are important to you, the blessings and benefits of knowing God. Then go into your everyday life and give those things to someone who is important to you because that person is also important to God. Be willing to communicate what you care about for who you care about. So there you have it. Take it from us. If you want to make the most of your high school experience or whatever phase you're in right now, be intentional with your relationships, only invest in the ones that make you more like Jesus. Use your time now to become the person God created you to be. Be intentional with your time and make sure you leave space for the things that matter most, church and Christian community. Don't be afraid to speak up when it comes to things you care about and don't be afraid to invite others along. Leverage this phase to engage those who are close to you but far from God. If you do these four things, we think you'll experience the awesome life God has in mind for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us all here today and allowing us to worship and learn together. I pray that as we go throughout our week, you would allow us to make decisions that please you and be mindful of our relationships, time, identity, and communication. I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.